Hi friends, Nels here. Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. Today we are in a message series called Covered in Dust, and we're exploring what following Jesus and discipleship means for us in the context of community. Let's tune in. Good evening, Journey. It's good to see you. This is our, our my name is Brandon Edwards. I'm a pastor here at Journey, and this is our sixth week, our sixth and final week in our discipleship series called Covered in Dust, where we're looking at how to center our life on Jesus and imitate uh, his life, the life of Jesus, following in Jesus' footsteps so closely that it's like we're getting the dust from his shoes on us. When I launched Journey 11 years ago, when we launched Journey, I was here and I really enjoyed what I was doing. It was a lot of fun and a lot of exciting things. We were trying lots of new things. We were risking, building teams, a lot of the same stuff we're doing today, building teams and empowering people. And it's been exciting. But in the early days of Journey, I'd be doing all of that and then I would drive home at the end of the day and pull into my garage, close the door, walk inside, sit down with my wife, and we'd have dinner, and then maybe hang out, read a book, watch TV. And I really felt like I was failing to be Christ to my neighborhood. I couldn't figure out how to take what I was doing during my day and, and be Christ in my neighborhood the rest of the time. I, I think that's something that a lot of us struggle with. We work, we eat, we sleep, we try to play on the weekends, we pay taxes, but we don't know how to make God the center of our life. The average Christian in the United States spends 10 minutes a day with God. Meanwhile, the average American spends over four hours watching television, on average. So you could be a Bozeman person, maybe you don't have a TV, but you spend a lot of time maybe on your computer or your Netflix binging or how much of your money is spent on yourself versus being directed towards God's kingdom. How much of your time is dedicated to pursuing your life and your goals and how much is focused on God's work and purposes. God doesn't want religious duty from us. He doesn't want this distracted, half-hearted, fine, I'll read a chapter in Matthew, now are you happy, God? Attitude. He doesn't want that. He wants his word to be a delight to us, so much so that we meditate on it every day. Like he says in Psalm 1-3, he promises that those who do so are like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. But much of the time, our, our time, our energy, and our money, our resources are channeled towards that which is temporary. Paul writes, For as I have often told you before, and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, 
who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Living like our citizenship is in heaven rather than worrying about the things of this world is a total shift in how we live our life. It reminds me of my Aunt Vivian. She uh, is my mom's mom's sister, uh, a family of 10, the oldest. And we, we call her, they called her, and we called her Aunt Bingen. That was what she expected us to call her. So I was her great nephew. And she was an excellent cook, and she loved God. And I didn't realize how much she loved God or how much she loved me until I went down to see her in the nursing home shortly before she passed away to be with the Lord. I was amazed as I went into her room and she was laying on her bed and she said, Brandon, come closer. She, she wasn't whispering, but she, she could talk, but it was pretty quiet. And she was so happy to see me. And she said something that I'll never forget. She said, Brandon, I have been praying for you your whole life. See, it was, that was really powerful because I had just graduated from college and I went down to see her and I had just started ministry. And I spent some time with her and she, she told me in that moment, in that time in my life, that she had been praying for me every day of my life. It felt like she had prayed me into the kingdom. And that is this example of focusing, she had focused her time on what was eternal, not what was temporary. She focused her life on what really mattered, ain't binging. Maybe you've already committed to pursuing God and you made sacrifices to God. If so, you've seen that in some ways it gets easier, doesn't it? Some things You've witnessed these blessings because you're giving and you receive back, but some things get harder. The temptation to level off increases with each passing year. Pride tells you you sacrifice more than others, and fear says you should worry about your future. Friends say, you've given enough. It's someone else's turn now. Pat on the back. But Jesus says, keep on, and you'll see more of God. It ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our final day. I love that saying. Do you really believe that? That it ought to be the business of every day to prepare for our final day. Matthew 16, 24 and 25, Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But forever, whoever loses his life, that's holding on to how he's currently living, currently choosing to live his life. Whoever loses his life for me will find it. Any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. That's Luke 14, 33. Is Jesus talking about getting rid of everything you have to follow him? Well, we saw last week for the rich young ruler, that was true. For some of us, that's true. Bob talked about that last week. But I think the application for all of us, is that we have to give everything we have to Christ. 
all that we have in order to be his disciple. It should all be for him. See, John and Michelle, I love this example, John and Michelle Oakland, they have a missional community at their house that meets every other week. And uh, my wife and I have four kids, and our house is pretty kid-proof. Well, John and Michelle's house, they don't have four kids, and their house is not kid-proof at all. And they have kids coming to their missional community, and they love it. They love having kids come. And they, they view their stuff as something that can be sacrificed so that they can know Jesus more as they love others and that others can know Jesus more as they come. So if kids break, or adults, break their stuff, it's a sacrifice. And they love that. They are tangibly using what they have for the Lord. And that's great. What do you love doing? My father-in-law he loves taking people fishing. Or he loves, well, he loves taking people fishing. He also loves taking people shooting and target practice. I am a pretty good shot now. He's taken me basically every time I've seen him for 11 years since, since I got married to my wife, actually even before I got married. John Oakland loves to take people fishing. I love taking people to movies and to concerts. So I graduated from seminary uh, a week and a half ago, and as, we, as my wife and I got into the car and we were leaving the parking lot, we were alone, and I, I leaned over to her, and, I, and I, we were in this tiny little pathetic car, you know, like the cheapest rental I could get, and, and, and I said, Stephanie, I need to talk to you about something that's really important. And she's like, all right, and I said, I want to go see Captain America. And, and I want to invite all my friends and, and anyone that wants to come with me because I love it. What do you love and how can you use it for God to love others? You may be saying, well, I believe in Jesus, but I can't put him first right now. I've got my career. I've got to wait till my parents die because they would be unhappy if I became a Christian. I see who he is and what he's done but I'm not going to put him first yet, but someday I will, maybe right before the end. When someone says, I understand Christianity, I'm just not ready to put it at the center place in my life, then that person really doesn't understand Christianity yet. I'm just not ready to put it at the central place in my life. Let me, let me illustrate it this way. I'm kind of a science geek, so bear with me. If the distance between the earth and the sun, which is 92 million miles, was the thickness of a sheet of paper, and then the diameter of our galaxy, that's the sun and all the planets, was 300, that, would, that would mean that it was 310 miles of stacks of paper high. That's the diameter of our galaxy. And then our galaxy is less than a speck of dust in the universe that we can see, and then that part of the universe is a speck of dust in the whole universe. And if Jesus is the Son of God who holds all of this together with the power of his word, is this the kind of person that you could ask into your life to be your personal assistant? Discipleship is not just a matter of bending your will to Jesus' will. It's melting your heart into a whole new shape. It's not just a matter of commitment or lack of discipline. 
It's melting your heart into a whole new shape, one that is less selfish and more about love. See, God's definition of what matters in life is actually pretty simple. It's pretty straightforward. He measures our lives by how we love. Not how much stuff we have or any status, our retirement account, our big house, our large family, all-inclusive vacations. He measures our lives by how we love. Paul writes that even if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. According to God, we are here to love. Not much else really matters. So God assesses our lives based on how we love. But the word love is so overused. It's worn out. What does God mean by love? In 1 Corinthians, he says, love is patient and kind. Love doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. Love is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. So now, faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Here's a fun exercise I learned this week. We'll go back to the first one. Take the phrase love and put your own name in it and reread it. Brandon is patient and kind. Brandon does not envy or boast. Brandon is not arrogant or... Doesn't this sound like BS to you a little bit? (laughs) You realize really quickly that I think I have a long way to go and learning how to love. Following Christ isn't something that can be done half-heartedly or on the side. It's not a label we can display when it's useful. It has to be central to everything we do and everything we are our whole life. It requires focus and being intentional with what we're doing because everything in our culture teaches us to look the other way, to do the other thing. It's all about us in our culture not love. Culture says, life is all about me, the individual. Not loving others, Snickers satisfies me. Gatorade quenches my thirst. If life is a river, then pursuing Christ requires fishing upstream, or swimming upstream. And when we stop swimming upstream, or actively following him, we begin to be swept downstream with all the other dead fish. I think that for a lot of us, we're not specifically swimming downstream. We're just slowly floating away from Christ. It isn't a conscious choice, but it's happening because little in our lives propels us towards Christ. But our heart, it feels the call. Our heart can feel that call from God, God's nudge, that love is what we're called to. Loving God and loving others, we're called to follow, to be a disciple. So how do we do this? Bob asked me last week to preach this week, uh, get real practical uh, to, to end our time together on this series. And so there's this picture that we've been talking about, about following Christ. And we're going to make Jesus the center of our lives. And so that means we put 
That, and one of the things that we were imitating Jesus, and so one of the primary things that we see Jesus doing in the scriptures is he spent time with the Father, hearing and responding to him. This is a really key piece of imitating the life of Jesus. And then Jesus built a spiritual family. He spent time with others. And this is why we have missional communities around Journey. This is it's not the only way you can do it, but this is why we put so much energy into it because we need a spiritual family to build up our, our muscles and flex those spiritual muscles and also to encourage one another because everything in our culture and everything in me wants to just Netflix binge. <laughs> and we, we need that support. We need that system. And then Jesus, then the other reason we need that system is because Jesus spent time going out to the broken world, loving others in the out. And God calls us to be like little versions of Jesus, and we're stretching and reaching out and growing as we flex those muscles and getting stronger. We see this in Acts 2, 42 through 47. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. This is passionate spirituality. Passionate spirituality. And then all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They had this radical community. And we'll just say they were swimming upstream. We will be if we commit our lives to this. And then they had this out, which we call missional zeal. They really cared about the world around them. Jesus did. We see him healing. People wanted to be with him. They wanted to be around him. And, and very little in this world makes us want to do this. Everything, this is why we need the inn, is to support, to be around each other and I call this selfless love over here. Often when we think of discipleship, it's this crazy, disjointed thing. And you're thinking to yourself, Brandon, I don't know how I'm going to fit that into my life. I am way too busy with all, for all this missional stuff. So busy. How many people today have told you they're busy? A bunch of people told me they were busy. And then they heard me preach the sermon. How many of you feel stressed? How many of you have said that you're busy to someone in the last few days? I want to suggest that we need to change our thinking about discipleship and move from a mindset of adding something that it would be something additional in discipleship to just being intentional with what we're already doing. Rather than adding things, we're just going to be intentional with the things that we're already doing. What if God has actually given us this amazing way to view and see life that would make all of life 
one big, huge opportunity for discipleship and mission. Everything we are already doing, what if we already have an opportunity for discipleship and mission? And he has. God has given us that. It's this rhythm of life that Bob talked about last week. A, a rhythm of life that we already have, that's already out there. It's just about being intentional with what we're doing. See, discipleship is not a set of activities or classes that we need to take. It's not a Bible study. God has actually built the world and everything we're about and everyone we know into this rhythm. And it's perfectly set up for us to live this way. So we're going to talk about six rhythms this week that we can be intentional with. The first one is know the story. We all have a story. It's our story. But is our story a part of God's story? And do we think of it in that way? Or are we believing a different story, something that maybe we learned growing up from our boss, or the people that we knew in our family, our culture? Do we know God's story as a story? Well, we need to. And we do that by doing two things. One can be a devotional. That's what I mainly did most of my life was little chunks and you can get the Bible app on your phone and they have da- tons of daily devotionals. We do one around here at Journey. Each year we will pick one and go through it together and you can grab that at the info table out front. And then in seminary, I learned about something that seems really obvious but I hadn't, I hadn't done really, which was to read whole books of the Bible or large chunks in sittings and read it like a story. And, you know, the Bible was written on scrolls, and they would just roll them out and read them in one sitting to the church, like Paul's letters to the church, Laodicea and everything. They would, they would roll those out, and that, that's what they would do. And, and it's really helpful to know the story, know the context, to keep these characters, these people in mind. And then you can apply that to your life. If we're going to be living as disciples and making disciples, we need to know God's story and we need to know each other's stories. We need to know our stories deeply enough to apply the gospel into every area of life. And then there's the next rhythm, which is the rhythm of rest or Sabbath. We start with rest because it's out of rest that we love others. This, this series on being a follower, a disciple of Christ, is really close to my heart. I want to make a difference and share with others that Jesus is just as available for you as he is to me. Jesus died as much for you as he did for me. And I'm excited about following Jesus and learning to follow his example, to follow in his footsteps like the disciples did so closely that I get dust on me. I love that image. And that's great. And that's learning how to live more like Christ. But you can love others like Christ and not feel this fulfilling rest and joy and peace that Jesus promises, the living water. If God said my yoke is easy and my burden is light and that Christ, in Christ we're to find life and find it to the fullest, then why do so many folks get burned out? Why do so many Christians feel too busy? It's great to love our neighbors, but we have to have balance it with the up. We have to balance it with the Sabbath rest and getting that infusion of God regularly. It's easy to get bogged down with the burdens and stresses of life, 
And as committed we, as we are to anything, as committed as we are to anything in our life, we should be committed to Sabbath and rest. It's God's example and it's the wellspring of joy. I want life to the fullest. Just like Jesus talks about. And the next series, that's what we're going to be talking about for the next three weeks. Don't miss a week. We're going to call it Abide. I wanted to call it Seize the Weekend, but I realized that it was more than the weekend. It's really about your whole life. If God commands it and Jesus promises it, I want that. It's a priority. I don't want the replacement thing that satisfies. I like Snickers. But I want the joy and that peace. I want the real thing. And then the next one, the next rhythm is serve. This one goes hand in hand with rest. You've got to keep them in balance. Serve and rest. And it's one of Jesus' strongest commands. It's a deal breaker. We are to tangibly love our neighbor, not just have good feelings. Some of our missional communities serve at the community cafe. Some of them, like ours, we serve at the warming center in the winter. And, and we love reaching out to international students. We think that's a really great thing. We want our, sometimes our international students, they, they come to MSU for a year or two years, and, no one, and they never spend a moment in anyone's home. They're just on campus but they want to. It's part of the experience that they, they want to come. So we love to do that. And that's the reason that we ha- need our missional communities is because serve is so hard. We need, to, we need to flex those muscles. We don't naturally just want to go do that unless it's coming out of our rest. If it's coming out of our Sabbath and our time with the Lord and we see that example, Christ serving, then we want to go serve. But we need some people around us to encourage us and to be committed to that with us. And then there's the rhythm of celebrate. This one is fun. It doesn't always come natural to me for some reason, but all the holidays that are coming around, birthdays, anniversaries, they're already happening. We just need to join in. Join into those celebrations and bring, be the bringers of the good wine like Jesus was. It's the low-hanging fruit. It's easy. Just go, but bring the best. It's similar to how we do Go Halloween. If you're around Halloween, we like to encourage people to have like whole candy bars and have like a bonfire in your front lawn and have uh, like hot cider and hot chocolate for people. Be the bringers of the best wine. Then there's the rhythm of listen. This leads us to listening. Listening to someone like culture and books, friends, TV. That's what we normally do. But are we listening to God? We say it this way. We need to listen backwards through the word of God. Who is God? Who has he always been? And we need to listen forwards to the Holy Spirit. What are you trying to say to me right now, God? What do you think, what, what are you saying to me in this situation? My prayer times are mostly filled up with me praying about things for me, praying about things for other people, and then I'm off to my day. But I don't regularly cultivate a rhythm of listening to God, not just in silence, but also throughout my day as I'm interacting with people 
trying to have an awareness of what the Holy Spirit's saying. We need to listen to others. Also, that's part of community. Other people can be the mouthpiece of God in our lives. They can speak to us, and we just need to test whatever we hear, whatever we learn against Scripture. And listening to others requires that we are present, active listeners. That's how you get to know people's stories. And then my favorite rhythm, the last rhythm, is the rhythm of eat. I eat 21 meals a week, sometimes more. Start with one meal a week to invite a friend that maybe doesn't go to church or they're they're not a believer, but you care about them and you want to be about community. It could be an early coffee or breakfast, lunch, dinner. It's taking a rhythm. You're already going to eat. Do it with a friend. Invite someone. It's about loving others. It's not about adding more things into your life. It's about being intentional with what you're already doing and taking those opportunities to love people. One of the best rhythms that we have to offer is these missional communities. So each one is really different. So if you go to one, it's not going to be the same as another one. Mine has a lot of kids at ours, and others don't have any kids. Mine's focused on my neighborhood because that's really important to me. But we also try to care for international students. Some meet every week, some meet every other week. But it's around food, it's around a meal, so you're already going to eat anyway, so you can just show up and hang out and eat. It's really the best picture of an Acts 2 community that I've ever been a part of. We eat together, we serve together, we share and confess and pray. And then we also, some of us have worship. You can imagine, I usually have worship in mind. We put the contact information for 10 of our missional communities online, and there's a map that looks like this. And you can go and you can click on the map, you can get directions, and you can contact the people that uh, below the map is a description and the names of all the people that do the missional communities, and they're expecting you to contact them about going. So it's not weird. Say, hey, when's your missional community? And then you just show up, and they can tell you what to bring and all that stuff. Since starting our missional community, it's the first time, like, I felt like I'm making a a difference in my neighborhood. We host our missional community every other week. But I also invite people to do life with us, to go shopping with us, to just hang out. My wife, Steph, if she's doing something, then I invite a friend over, even if they're not good with kids. It's kind of fun for me to watch somebody who's not good with kids. (laughs) This last week, We had a couple international students come to our missional community for the first time, and they really liked the pie that my wife baked. So Steph invited her back a a couple days later, and she baked another pie with my kids are always open to my wife baking another pie. And then a couple days after that, they came back over, and they cooked us. Are you seeing a food theme here? They cooked us some of their Chinese food and taught us how how to cook the Chinese food. It can be anything. I learned how to make furniture on Fridays with my friend Joe. He was already going to be building cabinets, and I really enjoyed hanging out with him. We talked about music and furniture and all kinds of stuff. One of my favorite illustrations about being a disciple is one that Francis Chan used. It's, it's the game of Simon Says. 
I grew up playing Simon Says. Did you guys play Simon Says? Most of us have played it, unless you're really young because there's no app for it. <laughs> so Simon Says, you know, you say, Simon Says, pat your head. Okay, I'm patting my head, Simon Says. But it's so weird when, when, we have, when we see the church and Jesus says it's a totally different game. If Jesus said it, I don't have to do it. I just have to, you know, memorize it. You study it, you memorize it. It doesn't make any sense. Jesus said, go out and make disciples. And how many people in the church are actually making disciples? But they memorized it. You know, when I tell my daughter, Jane, go clean your room. Please go clean your room. She doesn't come back two hours later and say, hey, Dad, I memorized what you said. He said, hey, Jane, go clean your room. Dad, my friends are coming over, and we're going to have a Bible study about how you said, hey, Jane, go clean your room. So why do we think that we're going to come before Christ one day and quote some things that he said and talk about how much we know. Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he felt joy. And he sold all he had, and he bought the field. What are you going to do with the precious gift that God has given you? If I was going to follow scripture, here's what I'd do. I'd follow Jesus. I'd set up my life to imitate him, I'd try and grow and become more like Jesus and figure out this balance between the up, the in, and the out. And I would try and make disciples. I would build this spiritual family to come alongside me to do this stuff. John 12, 24 to 26, Jesus says, very truly I tell you, Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father, my father will honor the one who serves me. I want to be the kind of person that follows Jesus. Do you? To say we're losing our life, we're dying to our life, it's not the good parts that we're losing. It's the selfish parts. It's the ungodly parts. But the love, the joy, that's what's growing. To love greatly, to do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly, to have a life that's defined by love. I want to be that kind of person. It's a slow change. It has to be one step at a time, and it's swimming upstream. It's reorienting our life around the life of Jesus, looking at the up and the in and the out, and deciding what's next for me. What do I need to focus on? Is it the up so that I can do the out? Is it the in so that I can sustain the out? I want to be that kind of person living my life, growing in my love for God and my love for others. And at the end, God says, well done, my good and faithful servant.
Let's pray. God, we thank you for this example of your son that you've given us. God, so much in this world is pushing against us and we recognize that and sometimes we just don't realize how much that's happening. And we pray that you would be speaking to us and that you would give us ears to hear. We thank you that you do speak to us, that you are with us and you have given your example for us. And if this is the first time that you've realized that Jesus died so that you can have this new life and that maybe you thought that you liked Jesus but you hadn't put your life fully in his control and you hadn't said that you are the one that's gonna be in the center, that you're the one that I wanna follow. If this is the first time and you realize that, I want you to pray this prayer with me. God, I pray that you would be the center of my life. I'm sorry for the ways that I've been selfish. I ask that you would come into my life, that you would make me new, that you would melt my heart into a new shape. I want to focus my life and follow you with it. I thank you for your death on the cross and all you've done. Come into my life, Lord Jesus. It's amazing that you have created this way, that you sent your son not only to save us, but also to give us this example of this life and how to live and how to be a part of your kingdom. And we want to do that. We want to live our lives and we want to be turning each thing with intent towards you. Help us to reflect your life, your character, and your love with all that we are. And we thank you and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.